Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Rebel Guru Radio with best-selling spiritual author Eric Pepin. Season 2, Higher Balance Classics, Timeless Teachings. Rebel Guru Radio is sponsored by Cramp Medic, the most powerful cramp fighting supplement on the market. I think it's an excellent product. I can honestly say for myself, and this is of course uh, difficult to say because it's coming from me, but I hope you take my word on it. I don't think there's anything out there better than Cramp Medic for leg cramps. I used to get them on a near daily basis, maybe every couple days. I know that uh, when I had my motorcycle or bicycle, uh, my legs would be the worst. I would wake up in the middle of the night in pain. Uh, there have been times where I've thought about maybe I should go to the emergency room. Since I've used Cramp Medic, I probably use one serving and I will not have to reach into using this again probably for two, two and a half weeks. That is more than double what I felt was the recommended like once for every seven days. That's how effective it is. I do think that people need to use it for two to three times to build up somehow in your in your system. We have mainly all positive reviews. Apple cider vinegar is what is going to reduce, you know, acid buildup in your muscle tissue very rapidly. Cayenne pepper is going to expand your capillaries to move that blood into those tight cramping muscles that just do not want to let blood in there to soften it. It is very, very effective. It is going to get in there. Electrolytes very fast. It's going to do the job. It's just a great product. And that's what I have to say about it. Crampmedic.com. The other thing I wanted to say is the Higher Balance Institute store, HBI, or higherbalance.com. We've worked very hard at reducing and slashing the pricing, trying to keep it as a mainstay price forum. Uh, People have said over the years it's too expensive for them and they can't afford it. Uh, I don't know what the next excuse is going to be because it is extremely affordable. Um, We're doing our best to do that. Having Cramp Medic, finding other stuff to maneuver around so we can keep this thing going uh, has allowed us to bring those prices down. Uh, We do have a lot, a lot of material, a lot of classes that are really excellent, I feel. you know, going probably for several dollars, some of those classes, uh, probably at least 70, 80% off of what we charge, maybe even more. Uh, one thing we may do is maybe change around in the store, like uh, uh, bi-monthly or something, which modules we're offering because there's so many, I think people get lost in it. So if there is something you want, I strongly suggest you grab it before we start moving it around, but it will come available again. It just may take six months to a year before the, all those other ones start arriving. Uh, back for availability and we're going to start taking down some probably to try to keep some organization to just the the bulk of uh information there which i'm very proud of um so that's what i have to say in that please check out higher balance institute uh you know or higherbalance.com and uh support higher balance please get uh try out uh cramp medic for family friends anybody who has leg muscle problems or any kind of muscle problems in particular it it truly is the best product out there no foams no creams you don't have to run to the bathroom if you're working at the office to put on foams on your leg by pulling on your pants and trying to get to your legs uh no need for tablets one shot seven days phenomenal
Thought is what's going to shape and form you. Thought is going to be a huge contributor to whether you achieve a higher state of consciousness or not. How you think will be how you perceive yourself, others, how you will perceive the possibilities of what you can even achieve. In some ways, how you perceive has been predetermined in you by your thought. Not only of your surface thought, perhaps concentrating on this very subject, but your internal thoughts that are continuously going on in the back of your mind that you're not even fully aware of. Again, your feelings of being possibly threatened by other people who may or may not be listening to this conversation and judgmental of yourself as to where you stand in comparison to them. Again, may or may not withhold you from asking a question. That could be the liberation of you awakening spiritually and you won't ask it or you'll assume to bypass it just because of judgmentalness that you assume other people will take. And that assumption comes from your own inner mind, which leads to something else. Because you may think in that process says that you are a product of the matrix rather than a product of self-liberation. The matrix is the global consciousness of the planet. Matrix is a new word. An old word would be the Gaia mind. What is the Gaia mind? The Gaia mind is a collective of hundreds of billions, if not trillions, of living, thinking creatures, human beings, animals, whatever you like, collectively pooling their intelligence. What is the matrix? The matrix is now telling you how to function in life the same way that you would tell red cells or white cells or organisms in your own body how to function. There's a due process to keep you in check. How you think, how you will process your motives or your internalizations of what you want to do, how much of that is the matrix affecting your thinking and how much of it is actually free will or free thought or free choice per se. Concentrate today on thought. When we think about thought, I find something intriguing. The majority of spiritual teachings all really derives down when you distill it to one thing. It really comes down to how you're thinking. If I said to you, mindfulness, what does mindfulness mean? It means be mindful of yourself. Be mindful of what you're thinking and how you're thinking. If you're mindful of your thought, you will be able to achieve more. Willpower, again, is what? It's directing your thought to achieve a goal. Willpower is, again, thought. Mindfulness is a thought. It's a thought process. If we continue going on, positive affirmations. When you do a positive affirmation, you want to create positive things in your life, and you're told to think of these positive things, to visualize these positive things, to manifest them in your life. What are we getting back to? We're getting back to thought. It's about how you process your thought or your thinking or how you're being told to structuralize it. Self-discipline. What is self-discipline? Self-discipline is thought again. It's to discipline yourself into a ritual or discipline yourself to be at a certain place or a certain time or to achieve a certain goal. Again, it gets down to a thought process. Directing your will is, again, almost the same thing. It is all one thing. It's a thought process. By analyzing your thought process, turn inward. Reflect on your thinking process. Reflect on how you're thinking. Really dissect it all down. How do you think? Why do you think the way that you think? What we want to do is dissect thought. Not just look at the method of doing it, but what is the method of progress behind it? What is the dynamics, the mechanism? Instead of looking at the clock, 
instead of looking at the hands and the time that it represents, we want to learn what are the fundamental gears behind it all. In so doing, will that understanding help us liberate something deeper within us? The first thing that we have to understand, thought is a living thing. Your thought is a living thing. If you think about your body, your thought process is what governs your reaction with life. You tell your arm to move, it moves. You tell yourself to walk, you walk. You tell your mouth to talk, it talks. You tell your nose to inhale and smell, it inhales and smells. So thought is very integrated to the functionality of how you exist in this dimension, at least. Even as a dimensional being, thought is the movement of you propelling through time or space or to achieve from point A to point Z to make yourself move through the ribbons of time or the ribbons of space. Thought is a living thing. It is in itself you, but in itself it is the dynamics of your real body. You could say that the thought process could be the flesh for the energy body as much as the flesh for your physical body is the flesh for what you think is yourself here. Thought is going to design you. How you think, how you process thought is going to design you. It's going to make you. Therefore, it's something that you want to give some very serious thinking to. When I say to you, thought is a living thing, not only is the thought that makes you what you seem to be the interaction of consciousness, the representation of you, how you move, how you talk, your face gestures, your body movements, all of these things are a representation empowered by thought. If you take an object and you will your emotions into it, it has a program. That program has intention. That program, in a sense, has thought. That now becomes a living thing. It's just a matter of how you want to perceive it. When we deal with energies in a household, if a person comes in the house, they're very angry, they pick up a pillow, they're talking to the person, venting their frustrations, they're twisting the pillow as they're talking unconsciously, not being aware of it, maybe hitting the pillow, dramatizing how their feelings and their emotions while they're programming the pillow, and then they leave. Forget that the pillow has a program understand that that pillow now is a living thing. It has intention. When something has intention, it is a forward movement. It has an agenda. Everything that's affected by thought has an agenda. The whole planet has a huge agenda. If you think about the consciousness of the planet, it must have an agenda for all of life and non-life absorbed within it. You have an agenda for your own body. You have an agenda for life, for exploration, for the way you want it to appear or look, its cleanliness. You have agendas on thousands of levels. Well, so does the planet for itself, and you, in another sense, are a byproduct of that. So there are forces of consciousness, of thought, that are bombarding you and affecting you every single moment. The town can have a certain vibration, and when you're there, it has a certain effect on you. And if you leave the town area, you feel almost relieved. What is that? That's a thought consciousness that is imbued or embodied into that area that you are being affected by. So to think of it in terms of thought, we are no longer looking at the clock and saying we understand what time is. We understand when we go into a town that we're being affected by these things. We know when we go into a house, we know that we're being affected. Dissect the gearings of what is making this work. Don't forget that. Understanding this, the matrix is a living thing. It is a living program, and you're a part of this living thing. And it is expected of you to function 
in a process that works within it. When you bump that system, its natural inclination is to force you back into place. When you try to meditate, we try to get out of what we call the matrix, or you try to get away from the babbler. What does the babbler do? The babbler is trying to keep you in check. It's trying to keep you in place. So it in itself has a goal that is derived by an intelligence behind it. It's not just the thing it just automates. It's automating with an intention. Whether or not you could see the complexities of it or not does not mean it's not there. It is there. Everything is a living consciousness. Everything has an intention, and its intention is to keep you in place, in check, in a certain position that works for it. If you can understand this, liberation through meditation makes another level of sense. When we say we meditate to move yourself from consciousness so that something higher can come in, think about what we're saying in terms now in gearing. What you're doing is you're trying to separate yourself from the will of this matrix, from the will of this collective consciousness. And by separating yourself from it, in itself is the liberation that you're after. Maybe have a consciousness that's purely of your own accord or your own will. We have to now look at the matrix and ask ourselves, how many levels does this work on? Ask yourself one thing. How many levels do you have working within you? We have courses where we discuss the eyes. And the eyes are many personalities inside of you. Love, hate, anger, positive, negative, whatever you want to break it down to. But you have all these different emotions and different consciousnesses within you. Well, imagine how complex on the next level up that the planet is that you exist in. And these eyes that exist for the planet are now infusing you and willfully putting their intent on you to be affected in a certain way. When you can acknowledge or recognize something, that is the first ability to true liberation. It is the first way that you can resolve a problem if you know where the problem is coming from or you can identify it. If we were in a scenario where you were being hunted, the best way to defend yourself is to be aware that you're being hunted. If someone is stalking you or has negative intentions for you and you have no idea that this person has these intentions or that they're following you or observing you or studying you, preparing their moment of launch, you're at a great disadvantage. Every general, their job is to have the first initiative, the ultimate opportunity of surprise. Once you learn, lose the opportunity of surprise, you're at a huge disadvantage. The first thing that anybody has to learn in their pursuit of spiritual consciousness is to try to recognize and acknowledge what it is that they're up against, who or what is it that is their opposing agenda that they have to deal with. And until you can figure that out, you're at a huge loss, a great disadvantage. The best thing that you can do is to try to educate yourself to study whatever this opposing force is. And it's not to say that you should necessarily look at it as an opposing force, because the thing that becomes even more complicated is, as long as you are in a physical body, you're part of that opposing force. You're, you're really trying to separate yourself as an energy being that's coexisting in the physical one. So now your job becomes twice as difficult because you have to work with this mechanism at the same time. You have to be able to step outside of it. And this is where things become very complicated and very difficult. It does not see you as individual at this point. The individualization actually gets down into the nitty-gritty of the mechanism. What we've done now is we're looking at the big gears. What we're going to now look at is the smaller gears and the springs and the nuts and bolts behind the bigger gears. 
and how all of this works together to hold time in a specific sequence. It's an illusion of time. We know that time is something that we deal with in our reality. If we look at Einstein's theory of relativity, we look at time in different aspects, distance ratios, we know that there are levels beyond that. Where you are at is you've accepted that you are controlled by mechanisms because you see time as being the accepted fold. Even though you're having this conversation with me or you're listening to these teachings, you also know on some other level in your consciousness that there's something beyond all this and you're trying to liberate yourself from that. What you really have to understand is, is somewhere in your deeper psyche, the problem is, is you've locked yourself down because you believe that this is where you are. You've already accepted that and you just don't know you have. So even on the surface, you're saying, no, I know there's something more and I'm looking for it internally you're locked into this zone and that's what you're trying to look to liberate yourself from what are smaller mechanisms to this gearing that i'm talking about we know the big gearing is just the will of gaia we know that it wants red cells to be red cells as i've taught it wants you to function in life do your routine collect experiences you die you release these experiences into this pool of consciousness it belongs to White cells are constantly trying to separate from that mechanism so that they can move more independently. The real question is, what is the smaller mechanisms? And I'll tell you what the smaller mechanisms, you know what they are. When you cut the webbing, why do you cut the webbing? Because individuals have their thought consciousness on you. Or when you meditate, we often say you will expect to hear from people you haven't heard from in a long time. Why? Because you're sending energy out to these people through what would be considered psychic webbing. That even people you haven't heard from in a long time are people that you've cut relationships with because you wanted to move on and they didn't hold a very positive effect in your life. All of a sudden as you meditate and you draw an energy, you're shaking these lines so that these people become aware of you. And we often said just cut those lines or try not to deal with those people because they're going to what? They're going to eventually distract you from achieving the goal that you're trying to achieve, and that's a higher state of consciousness. And how is it that they're doing that? By being your friend or, or just saying hello? In many ways, yes, and we already know the answer to that. We know that you're trying to liberate your consciousness or teach your consciousness to separate from the regularities of what you were used to, your, your patterns that you've created in your life, and that people represent markers of those patterns or, or the bumpers or the catalyst to get you to return back to a method of thinking that they're used to or how they relate to you. And when they relate to you that way, your natural instinct, again, for them is your familiarity with them. So you're going to relate to them in a pattern that is old rather than the new progressive way that you've learned to become. What does it all boil down to again? It boils down to thought, how you're thinking, how your process of thinking is affecting you. The goal in part of this conversation is to learn to create new thought patterns with old relationships. Sure, you're going to be able to now look at the person in your past life, and if you are strong enough and you have designed yourself well enough, you will now be able to reprogram them. When they start to refer to you in a certain way or playfulness, tapping you in the arm, you know, hey, don't you remember how we did this or how do you remember that? Most of the time, people want to refer to the past to, to the way things were to reestablish that marker so that it brings you back into the past so that you begin to access that stage of your mind. When that happens, it brings up all of the old design of your personality back into the forward state of your consciousness. Do you see what they're doing? In a sense, it's a kind of manipulation. 
It's not that they're necessarily doing it on purpose, but the real question is, are they really doing it on purpose unconsciously? And that's really what they're doing. Unconsciously, they're bringing you into their zone, into a place where you reflected at one time, but you've outgrown. So how you would control something that is by realizing during that conversation that's exactly what they're doing. By realizing and listening to their terminology of words or how they're treating you. And you need to assert yourself to say, you know, oh, I really don't like it when you tap me in the arm. I don't mean to be rude. And say, yeah, I remember all that. But you know what? What are you doing in your life now? Where have you gone? You take control of the situation rather than letting them bring you into where they want you to be, to what's familiar to them. You have to establish a higher order of familiarity now in the present as to who you are instead of reverting backwards to who you were. Referring back to old memories can be a very dangerous thing unless you can learn to stay unattached from that. And they will become more powerful as they begin to reflect more and more on those old memories. Old memories are power places. They're programs. And they're still alive. By conversating on old thoughts and old concepts and old things that you did before is actually, in a sense, a program that goes into your computer system, your mind system, and your mind system begins to play them and they become the active functioning thing. And then all of a sudden, they start to re-interwove their ways into your design of personality. Looking at the finer mechanisms, what we've just discussed would be small gearing, very small gearing, and in itself works up to something bigger and bigger and bigger. If we ask ourselves, what keeps us in the matrix? Ask yourself, what keeps you in the matrix? It is a thought process and largely the relationship of what you have in life. Why is it that when you want to meditate, you're often not allowed to meditate? It's usually because other people are infringing on the limited amount of time that you have. Or you're busy with life, which is part of the larger mechanism, which is okay. You're going to school. But when you have free time, often you will find, in many cases, people will infringe their energy, their time on you. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not to say that it's a bad thing. For them, it's quite ordinary. And the thing is, is that we've learned to accept that. We've learned that that's supposed to be an okay thing. Why think about it? It's the first thing of not realizing who or what your enemy possibly could be. It's not to say that you can't be courteous or kind, but you have to be mindful of the decisions that you make when you agree to go out and camp with, with other people that aren't inside that mechanism of spiritual growth that you're working so hard on. And that when you hang out with certain people or you spend time with certain people who don't have the same aspects or goals or agendas that you may have at this point in your own development, that you may be consumed by where their state of consciousness is. So you have to be sure that you're prepared and you're strong enough to do that. Now, one of the aspects that brings in a problem to this thinking is, is that you could say that most people say, well, when you go and you join a group and they tell you that you shouldn't hang out with your family or your friends, they're taking you away from us. And that's a bad thing. It's a cult thing. It's a negative process. No one's telling you that you need to leave your family behind. What they're really telling you is, is that you need time to reflect and design yourself and build yourself to get to where it is that you're trying to get to. And that you have to realize that your family, your friends, and all of these people have a designed state of consciousness as to who you are and how you are allowed to react. They identify you with a program of what they expect you to be. 
when you have growth in yourself, you will find often that your family will try to bring you back into their reality. Your family will try to draw you in to the old design of who you were rather than allowing you with the new design to be who you are. If you were never really the intellectual per se, whenever you try to give your intellectual thoughts, they're more or less ta or they'll start speaking over you or they won't give your statement much credit of reflection in the conversation. And then the person who was always seen as being the intellectual will take over and their opinion is supposed to be the just opinion and everybody who's within that family or group that knows the process will turn their heads to the person who's always been the the enlighter of that particular area. Does everybody understand that? So again, it's part of being in a mechanism. And for you to bump that system or to change that system takes a great deal of effort or energy on your part, even if you decide to do it. So it's not so much that we should focus on that particular scenario as much as we're trying to have you realize the mechanisms that are shaping and molding how you think, how you are affected. I always find that old proverbs have a lot of sense, and to every wise tale, there's usually a lot of truth. But I'll, I'll give you another scenario. Birds of a feather flock together. Or who you hang out with is who you become. If you hang out with people who have a lower level of achievement, so will you not achieve. If you hang out with people who have a higher level of achievement, so you will achieve. That in itself is the circles that you choose to travel in will be the programming that affects your psyche, whether you're willfully or knowingly knowing it's happening to you. Usually groups of people have a stronger collective will than people singular. Usually. Again, if you're with people who who don't have a progressive goal or a goal that you feel that you want to achieve, it's very likely you will never achieve what your goal is because you're putting yourself in a situation that is dominating you. Even if you think that you can overcome this domination, how much energy are you putting in swimming against the current even though you're making headway? How much effort are you really losing during the destination of this physical life? You have a limited amount of time per se. So how much of it is being wasted fruitlessly by you just choosing to to swim up current when you should just simply swim to the shore and walk uphill? And why is it that you cannot see the common reasoning of this logic? Why do you Tiny, tiny gearings. Now something's affecting you. Why is it that you insist on swimming up the current? That's what you have to be asking. You have to, again, reverse your thinking and study the inner design of what's going on in your thinking and why you're making the choices that you're doing. Ultimately, you know what you want to do. You want to achieve the highest state of consciousness that you can. You want to enjoy life. You want to share life. You want to be giving and caring and kind. But I think in some cases, people have confused in the inner mechanisms kindness with foolish self-sacrifice. That is not getting you forward. Again, don't throw your pearls before swine. Well, there's a truth behind that. If the swine can't understand what a pearl is, it's really you who's being foolish by throwing the pearls on the ground. They could have been used for something much better. So until you can realize that concept and not see that as being elitist or arrogant or egotistic, you can make a higher level of progress. It's you who's being held back by your own design of what you perceive as goodness or selfishness or kindness or graciousness. You could say that in one aspect, you could be kind by helping someone that's always requesting your help. And every time that you give advice for this person to help themselves, they don't truly apply it. If they don't truly apply it and they keep asking you for help, 
ask yourself a question. Are you being kind by consciously helping them? Simply let them go so that you can help other people who are willing to apply your help. The matrix is designed on multi-levels. Everybody is affected by the matrix, the Gaia mind, the consciousness. Its goal is for you to be a living organism, for you to procreate, create more organisms, and finally collectively take your experiences. When you die, you release those experiences like raindrops into a bucket to the Gaia mind. That's how effectively it grows. And it grows in slow processes of collective consciousness, not by individual having massive breakthroughs. It would have to be hundreds of people, if not thousands of people, to have that massive breakthrough for it to achieve a collective for the Gaia mind. What you are basically achieving is you're trying to step out of the mechanism, and that's a very difficult thing to do. In meditation, what you're doing is, is you're extracting yourself from everything that attracts you. So even doing selfless things, if you really wanted to look at it, could be an egotistic thing. It's gratifying to you to not accept gratification for doing anything. If you really want to get to the core, today we're talking about getting to the tiniest, the nuts and bolts of the mechanism. At this point, I think it would be very interesting for everybody to think about what you've been thinking about during this conversation. By thinking about what you've been thinking about during this conversation will tell you a lot about yourself. What people have you thought about during this conversation? What inspirations have come out of this conversation so far? How do you look at the people that you've drawn up in your mind as being challenges? And why did you choose the people that you've thought of in the first place? Because these are immediately the people who more than likely have the greatest programming effect on you. So you better be sure that their intentions are in the best place and not just assume. Now, I want you to keep in mind something very important. We're dealing with very, very integrated, deep, deep mechanisms. It is not right for everybody to take the extreme level of saying, I'm going to remove everything and have absolute selfishness in order to achieve my higher consciousness. It's just not feasible. You'd only end up harming or destroying yourself, and in the end, destroying your true objective to find your higher self. What we're doing today is we're discussing the most intimate levels of inner manipulations, inner control, thought control. The idea is that you learn to integrate it slowly into your life so that it becomes a positive aspect. You still always should reflect on the other trainings that you've received. You still must use your meditations in a daily process so that you can better design yourself to approach this higher level of understanding when it is time for you to do so. It does not mean that you have to separate from somebody in your life, but what it is important to do is to realize that you have to take control of what actions they may have on you because it is your own fault for allowing it to affect you, not their fault, not for you to point a finger and say you've manipulated me or you've done this or I've lost this out of my life because of you or whatever. You have the power to control your own destination and how you choose to give that power and to what level you choose to give that power on your life is your choice and yours alone. Mindful is to be conscious of what thoughts are going on. What are your inner motives and where do they come from? What are your motivations of manipulating someone else? What are your motivations to get what you want from someone else? If you're going to be concerned about how you're being affected, what about the effect that you have on other people? How much control are you trying to control over other people? 
what is your goal and what is your agenda and how truthful is that? Now, if we wanted to get into selflessness, I think that is a, a larger category to look at. It's not so much about you being aware of how you're being affected by thought, but how much are you affecting someone else by, by your choices and your whims and your desires, whether they be monetarily or physically in a sexual content or any other way. And to be aware of that is to say something in itself. To be aware of that is to have self-awareness, self-consciousness. That will stem from a higher level of purity. If you can be more conscious of what your intentions are and keep them in check and keep them in a level that's unselfish or at least diplomatic because you have to remember I think that there's a necessity to be selfish in the context of what you want in this particular world you may have to drive to work and be at work and someone could be going to the store because they have more time is it selfish to say that you are trying to get them to go to the store or is it that you're trying to manipulate them to go to the store do you understand that there's a difference purity within yourself starts from understanding your own level of manipulation to how you're trying to control someone else. If you're finding that you need to control someone else to get what you want, they're probably not the person you should have in your life. Because the person you should have in your life, you shouldn't need to feel that you need to manipulate the situation to the direction you want it. They should actually be like your yin and yang and work with you. And that's the best situation. When you find that one person's trying to manipulate you, it's a very, very dangerous thing. When you find that you have to manipulate back, it's twice as dangerous because now you are caught in a mechanism, again, where you can only see the wheel, you can only see the horizon, and you never realize that the lower horizon is simply keeping you in the same spiral. You just think you're progressing, but you're not at all. Once you get into that, it's a doomsday scenario. So you have to really be able to recognize this and to react on it. And sometimes by reacting on it is to separate yourself from it. And that could be a very painful process depending on how rooted they are psychologically within your mechanism and how you are to them. So again, it all gets back to thought. Thought is the inner matrix. The inner matrix gets down to individual relationships with other people. It gets into relationships with people in your life, whether they be sexual relationships, physical relationships, mental relationships, spiritual relationships, even your relationship with me. All of these have their gearing. All of these are controlling of one another and your destination or direction as to, to how you will unfold. And the more that you can recognize it, the more liberated you will become. It's not the fact that, that it's not there or that it's happening. The fact is, can you see it happening? And that's understanding thought and how thought works and how thought is a living thing and how thought will affect you. Again, we have larger energies that control you through thought, which is like going into a town having a certain vibration, a house having a certain vibration. These are all forms of thought control. And then we have individual beings who have their desires and their wants that work on a micro level constantly with you. Now, there are other forms of thought manipulation that we're going to get into. Much of micro control can also be done through emotional broadcasting. Emotional broadcasting means that you can want for somebody to want you so badly that you keep emanating that energy at them. They may not recognize that it's specifically from you, but for some reason they feel 
this drain. They feel this heavy weight somehow upon them that they feel a depression or they feel an anxiety. Usually a person who wants another person will go through a heavy depression of desire of wanting that person. In a sense, in my opinion, it's a robbery of the person. And to me, it, it could almost be another form of attack, even though it's not done with the intention of attack. They're just depressed. They're in love. But what are they doing? They're invoking all of their spirit upon you. They're evoking all of their energy upon you to be with them, to be drawn to them, for you to be attracted to them, for you to desire them, for you to be obsessed with them, is a sense for them to create a security. How do you look at that? If it was a person trying to control you, would they not use similar methods? Well, what if it's an act of love? Is it not in the same similar methods? So again, someone's psyche as to how they approach you, you could say is a good thing. Well, they're just wanting to love me. Or you could say in another way that if it's a bad person or somebody that you don't want to love, well, what if it's a guy who feels the same way about you as the girl does? You may not be attracted to the girl, but you feel more comfortable with the girl wanting you that way because it's a girl. Psychologically, you have this, this program in your head to accept it that way. If the guy does it, you see it as, as being a horrid, nasty, terrible thing. Well, the point is, is we need to reanalyze how we are processing the acceptance of this because I don't see either one should be acceptable because in the end, it's no longer your free will. What happens if their energy was enough to dominate you? What if it was done to a person who does not have the knowledge of this conversation or the teachings of what I offer to defend oneself? What if, what if, what if? What if then they're like, I don't know what's the matter with me. I'm just really depressed. I don't know what's going on. I, I feel like, like I'm being pulled on and, and I don't know how to deal with it. Well, this person may just be so in love. They just want you to want them. But in the same token, they're almost robbing or programming you with a program that you don't really want in you. What do they want? They're programming you to want them. So now you have a program being forced on you, you know, not really that you willfully want. It's against your will. And they're being merciless about this because somewhere's in the psychology of their own mind, 24-7, every waking minute, they're obsessed with this. So this is another form of programming. And whether you realize it or not, you're going to be affected by it. How you think and how you feel will be an effect of that byproduct of their will on you. And this happens every day. You could go to a party and someone could just be attracted to you and this will is on you and you don't even know who this person is. You have no idea who it is. You also probably do this to other people, whether you realize it or not. To what extent is a whole other matter. But the fact is, is, is people do this all day long. Now, what is this? This is an inner binding of the matrix. It's a design that keeps it stable in its functioning. It's a necessity in itself. It's control and be controlled process. It's constantly going on 24-7 in the consciousness of the grid, in the consciousness of the planet. It is a mechanism that keeps the fiber working with interrelated relationships, pods, electrical beings, human beings. Consciousness is moving about. They're interrelationships of sharing data. Manipulation and directing. If one's moving too high up, let's find something in there that keeps them, brings them back down again. So these are all complex systems of thought control, thought consciousness. The matrix is self-sustaining by these properties. And as long as we are biochemical in regards to how we process thought and how we react, forever we will be subjugated to the effects of it.
So the most that you can do is try to limit it by acknowledging it and seeing its processes and in itself begins to separate you, which becomes part of self-liberation. But it's no easy task to do. And if anybody here is thinking, I'm going to go out and do it tomorrow, well, you're setting yourself up for a very difficult process of, of which you're going to most likely meet failure. It's better to gradually work with something than it is to try to do it instantaneously. Understanding thought is a critical thing. Understanding your own thought and thinking about it is called what? It's called self-observation, which is something you're told to do often. Through self-observation, you will find liberation. When we think about why we're doing something or why we're saying something, it's self-observation. In that self-observation, we say to ourselves, gee, now that I've done it, I guess I am being kind of manipulative for this goal or that goal. What's really my motive behind this? Is it for the greater good of this person or is it for my own inner gratification? Do you find that you habitually are following a program of manipulating a certain way or a certain person or controlling a certain person as one individual and excusing yourself for doing it because just one person is okay? It's true to say that there's nothing wrong with wanting someone to want you. There's nothing wrong with some, wanting somebody to love you. There's nothing wrong with trying to get to know someone or whatever. It's all in the process of how cleanly you want to go about the business of doing that. Truth is a perspective of how we want to see it. Through self-observation, you will find inner truth and inner awakening. So it's not so much for me to tell you what truth should be or shouldn't be. It's to say it's, you have to discover your own inner truth by listening to that inner knowing. That inner knowing knows when you shouldn't be doing something and you should be doing something and to what extent that, that is. There are certain motivations that you should utilize for yourself that somehow will get you to a better place. And then there's just some things that just aren't and you already know what they are. You have to have the greater will inside of yourself to release those from you. And that's what surrendering the ego is. It's a different kind of empowerment. There's empowering yourself spiritually, which I think is perfectly okay. Because the end result of that is you finding the truth in your heart. Do you see what I'm saying? So if you want to use ego to build yourself spiritually, by all means, please do. I encourage it. Use your ego all you want because it's only one result. The end result is is a blossoming of your inner spirit, your inner heart, and ego is, is vanquished. So you can use ego to fuel you there if you think that's what it's going to take to get you there. But to use ego for self-control of others in a sense that is self-empowerment for the egos is a whole other trip, and you need to know the difference. And that comes from self-observation. We were talking earlier about how other people who may be in love with you but you're not in love can affect you spiritually and that it can be a big problem because you can feel depressed and not know why you're depressed or feel drained and you do not know why you're drained or keep getting images of someone in your mind, maybe that person who's madly in love with you and then all of a sudden, even though you're not in love with them, you feel this person in your mind is being depressed in that somehow you could be more supportive of them and you should feel guilt because you're not. Now, ask yourself the question, is that an evil thing or a negative thing or a bad thing or a positive thing? Someone's in love with you. All of their being is being pressed upon you. Because it's being pressed upon you, they're in your mind. You're constantly now thinking about them. Do you say to yourself, no, I, I refuse to, to bother myself with them because I'm just, I just don't want to be bothered by them? 
Or do you say, gee, that person's really depressed and I could make them happier by giving them some of my time because I feel guilty because they feel so depressed? Which is it? If you see that person, yes, they're depressed. Yes, there's a chance they may take their life. That is not something you should feel guilty for. Because they cannot control or they are so in love, it's they don't know their heart want you to love them. And in some ways, you're going to have to think that one out. You're going to have to think what's, what's your position on it. On the same token, if you're just simply not in love and you need to move on, then by visiting with them and making them think that they're going to, whatever, you're rewarding them for their depression of pushing this energy on you. Because it got them what, it, what they wanted in the end. And what they're going to do is they're learning now to continue doing this process of throwing this kind of energy at you. It's better to say, in a way, it's cruel to be kind, which in many ways is, is how I look at a lot of things. It's cruel to be kind because eventually they're going to likely outgrow you. Then give themselves an opportunity to meet someone else or to move on with their life. And the longer that you give them hope, the longer that you keep feeding this, the, is you, you cannot relate because you're not in the same place. All you see is the extremes of, of their suffering. What you don't realize is that you're just elongating this, that eventually in the human brain, there's a point where you shut it off and you move on. So you have to ask yourself, are you letting them hang on because you think that you're being kind? Or are you letting them hang on because in a way you're still feeding your ego because you want that person to still want you secretly? And that somehow this is empowering as a backup plan as you progress through life with other things. And you know the difference already in your heart. That's self-observation. The question is, is, what do you have the power to do about that? Are you going to be able to let this person go and let them destroy themselves to ashes in their suffering? But you have to remember the story of the phoenix. Inevitably, they will come back to life and they will move on with their life. I have certainly been in love with other people in my life and I've certainly had to let go of them and they've gone through their suffering. But they've also moved on in their life later on. It could take a month. It could take a year. It could take five years. But inevitably, it's not a matter of time. It's a matter of doing what the greater necessity or the greater good is. It may seem cruel. It may seem selfish. But in truth, it is the truest thing to do. You could say that you're gradually going to wean away from them. That's a truth. But the amount of energy that it takes for this process also could be very consuming and limiting in your, in your life's journey also. And there has to become a point where you have to say, I've been trying to wean off of it, but it, it just never quite gets there. And am I fooling myself by allowing this process to keep going on and on and on? And you, you have to realize at one point you just need to walk away from it completely. So selfishness, selflessness, there's a very gray, fine line in between if you think about it. But you have to think also what is being affected by you. Is your psyche, your thought process being manipulated? 10 to 1 it is, even though the intentions of the person aren't bad. In many cases, if you do begin to separate, that person can become very bitter towards you and decide, well, if you won't love me, I don't want you to love anybody else, so now they wish death on you or ill health or some traumatic thing for you to happen to you so that you have to come crawling to them. It takes on an extreme level of what is considered psychic warfare. You don't have to be trained in the arts of psychic phenomena to be harmful to another human being. I think one of the greatest levels of psychic warfare that is done on an everyday basis is relationships that go awry and the amount, the magnitude of mental energy that's projected out at other individuals is phenomenal. And if you think about when people break up, the amount of suffering that goes on, 
how people turn to alcoholism, suicide, anger, hate, jealousy. It's all the worst things you can imagine. And the bottom line is, is that usually there's no winner out of both of them. Most of the time, people are scorned forever mentally from relationship breakups, whether it be from marriage or from whatever it is. And it could take a significant amount of time to heal from that. But eventually they do heal. That's the interesting thing. Us as spiritual people attempting to evolve, we are much more sensitive to the arena of thought and what it can do. And it is for us to learn a kind of Tai Chi of the mind to use our mindfulness so that we do not get pummeled by people's consciousness pounding on us. That again, if we do, we allow ourselves to fall asleep, we fall into the matrix, and the matrix pummels us and forges us and creates us to being the byproduct of whatever needs us to be. And we cannot afford that to happen. And that's what we're trying to be conscious of and defensive of, is that we're aware of these things when they happen, and that we kind of have a Tai Chi method or a martial art method mentally of dealing appropriately with that thought consciousness so it doesn't do harm to us. And that's the whole point of this conversation is, is awareness. This is one method to say that you are affected by previous lovers. People that you've been intimate with know your energy best. When you are intimate with someone, you know that person's frequency. You can draw on that person's energy simply by knowing their frequency and vice versa. And in the aspects of looking at it psychically, I always say that each individual has a frequency, 98.6, 104.3. You have a very specific frequency. Well, the people who have the most effect on you or the most power on your thought consciousness, who can invoke their thought on your thought process, are the people who know your energy. And the better they know your energy or if they've been intimate with you, it means that there's a very strong psychic connection. And 10 to 1, it will last forever forever even when you leave this world and die that conscious energy is still connected somehow some way if it was strong enough this is why again i say usually the greatest level of psychic warfare that's done in a negative prospects are from people who have gone through relationships because there's such an, a mental invocation of thought that is pushed into it it can be one of the most positive healing enriching energies or it can be a very negative destructive powerful souring energy it has potential for either or now if we move on to other thoughts of projection is to say that we've had classes where i've taught where you can heal someone across the world if you wanted to a hospital to a 10-foot distance whatever by thought projection the matrix interconnects everything Everything is connected. All of our consciousnesses in this room are connected. All of our consciousness outside of this room is connected. So there is a grid. It's a matter of whether you know the channel or the frequency to follow in order for you to connect with whatever person you want to connect your mind with. It's about following some kind of mental path or some pathway as I've described. Every single person that you meet in your life, you make a connection with. Now, if you're intimate with someone, it's a powerful connection. If you have other levels of a friendship or bonding or hanging out, all of these can be powerful in themselves. But a person learns your frequency and it lasts forever. It's, it's not something you can remove yourself from. If you project healing energy, it's a form of healing at a great distance. If you project negative energy at someone, you can still do it at a great distance. In many cases... A lot of times you may feel depressed. You have to ask yourself a question. 
why am I depressed? In some cases, you're going to say, I have no idea. Now, you could be biochemical in your body. It's always a question. But on another point I like to say is, I wonder sometimes if you might realize that it's someone invoking their will on you. Someone's thinking so heavily on you that they're invoking their own depression and it's affecting you and you're becoming depressed. It could be a mother yearning for, for you. And it could be a father maybe wishing to control certain circumstances in your life. It could be people that you've met in your life who now want you back into their life because their life isn't as good as it was when you weren't there. Or they're just thinking on you. And when somebody thinks on you, you tend to get the thinking process, their thought and whatever interfibered information it has with it, which then gets interfibered into you. And you interpret it not on their premise, but on the premise that you just feel it, but you don't know where it's from. So it's an assumption that it's just simply your feelings. Thought projection is a very powerful thing, and this is why we say meditate. This is why we say clear your thoughts. This is why we say have mindfulness. This is why we say cut the ribbons with the sword. This is why we do energy movements through our body because it removes outside faculties that are affecting your consciousness, and all of them are thought-based. Every last one of the things that we've discussed are thought-based. They originated from someone who's thought and created it. And when they project this bulk of energy out, it is a complex ribbon of life. It's a program. It has a full spectrum of what its intentions and desires are. And what better can it be of a design than it being pre-prepped and pre-designed to be input into you? In other words, it is like a mother bird and its chicks. The mother bird goes out and eats food. It digests it somewhat in its stomach, and when it's half processed, it regurgitates it so that the babies can eat it. The babies could not eat it normally because they don't have the properties or the enzymes or the acidities or whatever it takes to digest that food. When a person creates a certain invocation of emotion of what they want and broadcasts it to you, you absorb it not knowing what the real spectrum of its intentions are. You just simply react to it. It's your biological brain does not have the properties to decipher it so easily unless you're trained to filter these things out or to, to acknowledge or recognize them. And this is what makes them very lethal. Again, it goes back to the very beginning of what I said. If you do not know you're being preyed upon, then you are a victim of non-awareness. You're a victim by the sheer fact that you don't have you're, – you're not on guard. You're not thinking that you have to have your consciousness at a level that you should be in check with yourself. You're reacting and experiencing something that may not be truly or bona fide from you. And this is why in some ways I say it's a living thing. They create that as much as you can feel in this room now and you know it to be your inner self. It's to say if somebody sends their inner self to you, it is a living thing. When you begin to self-study, it self-study means you can see the branches of the tree. You can see the leaves. You can see the branches that lead to the inner core of the tree. You can see then what you can see is the, the base of the tree. And from the base of the tree, you begin to study the inner core of its fiber, meaning it goes down into the depths of the ground. You find the roots. In the roots, you find the source from where it begins. Self-study finds the roots. And then from that, you know whether it's something that you want there or you don't want there or the truth of what it is. By knowing the truth is where you begin to liberate yourself. It goes right back to the same thing. Why do you meditate? You meditate to separate yourself from these consciousnesses. 
Why do you practice what you practice so that you can separate yourself from this? By separating yourself from this, you have a higher chance of finding inner truth. With inner truth comes liberation. With liberation comes enlightenment. Most things will be a reaction to life. That's what you're going to learn. If you begin the de-weeding process, you're going to find that there's not very much vegetation left in the end. But the vegetation that is left and there will be vegetation in life will be fruitful trees that can grow if you now give them the room to grow. And they will give you the fruits of life, the fruits of awakening, the fruits of enlightenment. Once you recognize something, instantaneously you have power over it. So you have to begin now to observe. Multitasking of a computer chip means that you can run multiple tasks at one time. Now let's say you're doing an algorithm for some really big result. And now you're going to run a Microsoft Word processor. You're going to run different applications. You're surfing the internet. You're downloading other stuff. What's happening to the speed by which you're doing the big result project on? The more you multitask, what happens to the big project that you expect to be done in five minutes? All the other little multitasks that aren't necessarily necessary are taking away from you achieving to find enlightenment in this life. You're doing all these other things instead of focusing and allowing as much concentration of energy to be put into your ultimate goal. So you need to isolate by selective choice which are the best programs to leave running that will contribute to the algorithm's completion and all the miscellaneous stuff that are actually distractions slowing down, feeding on that same amount of energy you have to finish the end product. Much, if you really use self-observation, are not necessary at all. You can remove yourself from things that are draining you and prevent things that are needlessly being drained and isolate it down to the things that are necessary and then also your main algorithm which is to, to get to your end result of enlightenment. So what I'm saying to you is, is yes, there are outside sources, things of necessity, working your job, feeding yourself, taking care of the basics, but there are also a lot of things that you're not aware of that are all microprograms that you've forgotten about or feeding off of you or whatever that you could be, be shutting down. Drawing all that extra resources, if you found like raindrops in a bucket again, you would find a good amount of resource that you had no idea you were losing. That's self-observation. That's self-study. That's the reasoning for it. Through self-observation, you will find that you, you will control your thinking better. Somewhere in the recesses of your mind, you're thinking about these issues. How much consciousness you choose to give them is a whole other thing. When you sleep, there is a huge bandwidth of loss. Because your mind now is running on all the issues that you hadn't been really thinking about that much, or at least you didn't think you were thinking about. And the truth to the matter is in the back recesses of your mind, you were thinking about them an awful lot. This is why they've bled in now into your dream states. So by removing them truthfully, you find true inner peace and then you can concentrate that energy into better areas. Every spiritual lesson that you have, every technique you practice really boils down to controlling thought in many ways or the invocation of thought and how it's going to project outward. All of the things that you learn are tools to help you achieve this goal. They're all designed, if you really think about it, to help you maintain thought control. I would sit down on a notepad and I would write how many ways you waste money. Again, as I said earlier about you being aware of when you're doing something bad and something good, you know you're doing it. You already know what you're, how you're doing things wrong. It's because you're choosing not to think about it. You're choosing to ignore it. So if you start writing down, I spend money on candy, I spend money on, on frivolous stuff, or I buy excessively, or I bought this, I bought that, 
start writing it all down. That forces you to reflect on it. And what is now your intent? Why are you writing this all down? You're writing this all down because you're trying to find an answer to what you're doing frivolously. So the next time you do one of those things, what's going to happen is, is your little alarm in your head is going to say, I wrote this down on my list as something that I do that I shouldn't be doing. Now you have an active choice at that moment. Instead of working without consciousness and just reacting, which we call being asleep or in the machine, you're just doing, you've just been awoken. You set an alarm on that alarm clock to wake you up. Now if you hit the alarm clock and you roll back over in bed, there's not much we can do. If you hit the alarm clock and you say, I have to get out of bed because it's a responsibility, you will then put down that object and you'll, you'll walk away. You'll say, I have to walk away. That's what I have to teach myself right now. Ten to one, you'll do it. And again, it comes down to your willpower. That's how you begin to make change in your consciousness is that you first have to invoke the recognition in your thought as to what you don't want to be doing. Now, if you don't write them all down on a list and you say, I'm just going to think about it, okay? You didn't manifest it into this reality. When you write something down on pen and paper, it has a profound ability to manifest itself in this dimension. Everything you're doing that you want to change is in this dimension. It's not just in your mind. It's your reaction with this dimension. So you're picking up the object and you're exchanging paper money. It's a physical reaction. If you mentally say, I'm just not going to do this, it's one thing. But if you manifest now with ink and paper that thought onto a piece of materialization, it has a different effect somehow with how you relate with other things in your life. And that's the best way to make change is to write it down on paper, physically manifest it in a paper form. It's now gone from this inner dimension of just pure electrical thought and it has taken down some kind of molecular structure in this lower dimension. You've moved it from the inside out. When you buy something, what are you doing? You're buying something and you're taking the outside and making it into inner gratification. You're going to either take it through your ears, through your eyes, through your smell, through your taste, through your touch. So it's some kind of inner gratification you're doing in your consciousness. So you need to reverse that program. It's the same way I say it. Take your hands. Make the movements. Change your frequency inwards instead of just letting your hands flip around during a conversation. If you write down the things that you want to change in your life on a piece of paper, it's the best way to make it possible. It's the fastest way to empower you. But do you know why most of you guys won't do this? Because deep inside of you, you have an enemy. And that enemy saying, don't worry about it. You don't need to do it. It's the babbler. It's just a different way of getting you. And you'll say, nah, it's too much time, or I don't really feel like doing it. It's not going to make much of a difference. See if I'm right or wrong. And then post it up on the wall and get a pen. And every time you, you go and you know that you weren't supposed to do that, that you know that that's a habit, you put a check mark on it. Did it again. Did it again. Did it again. And each time you put the check mark on there, it's going to have an effect on you. And you're going to say, I don't want to do this. It's manifesting it stronger into this outer reality. The same thing. What do you want to achieve rather than what you don't want to do? Write what you want to achieve in realistic terms and paper. You have to manifest what's in here out and what, what you want to change from the out in. It's a simple thing. You Out with the old, in with the new. And it's the fastest, easiest way to do it. All the things you don't like about yourself, put on paper that you want to work on them. And if it's a huge list... After you write the huge list, number them 1 through 100. And then you're going to do 10 at a time. Or 5 at a time. Or 2 at a time you're going to work on for 2 weeks. 
and then work in the next two and work in the next two. And even if the other ones get bad again at the top, don't matter. Run through your list and then start over again. And it'll be easier to get back to one and two than it was to work on them the first two weeks. For you to master them will take you maybe one week then. The third time around, maybe it'll take two days. Eventually, you're going to achieve them. Eventually, you're going to progress. But you have to remember, the human brain is a machine. It has a mechanism. But most of all, how does it use its thinking process? It thinks in, in methods of tagging. I keep saying this over and over again. It's a very structuralized system. It's a very, not necessarily hierarchical, but a database of how it interprets things. And you need to project that outside of yourself so that Anything that you observe, you must think in terms of how do you observe. Everything you observe, you observe outside of yourself and you bring it in. So when you take an inner problem and you project it out, the only way for you to reanalyze it is to put it outside of yourself and look at it and re-internalize it coming back in again. That's how you dissect it. If you think back to Socrates and to Plato, they really stood out. And it's not to mention that there was probably not hundreds, if not thousands of other people who just never were noted versus the, the hundreds of thousands, if not millions that existed. They were the forebringers. I think that your Socrates and Plato's are all in this room now. We've evolved to that level. Everybody in many cases in our society is at some level of Plato or Socrates or, or some level of a higher breakthrough of consciousness that started with a few then. And sure enough that there will be more higher level beings already in, in another hundred years from now. How does that come to be? It comes to be through self-study, self-awareness, self-truth. It comes through self-reflection. I would say that there's more people on the earth now trying to find self-realization through other schools, other methods, than there ever has been in the history of man. In itself, if you look at it in the factor of numbers... What was once maybe in maybe a few hundred to a few thousand to a few hundred thousand now are probably in the millions. So already this progressive consciousness has begun. It's just, just dissecting it to what level of truth each one has found. But it certainly leaps and bounds majority-wise if you just look at it as a, as a canvas concept compared to people already a hundred years ago, nonetheless a thousand, two thousand years ago. It's the process of Gaia having a better neurosystem. What I mean by that is it's the same way your brain achieved the same goal. You built a better neural system than the other animals on the planet. You, your firing system of electrons in your brain, your, your complexities of processing got better. At first we were doing maybe clacking of, of, of tree trunks you know, to communicate information. And then once in a while we would gather one, one time out of four years and, and walk hundreds of miles and send our brightest and our smartest and our greatest warriors to meet at some clan gathering. And if you look at that, you can see the beginnings of our neurosystem collectively sending data. Well, it's much the same way the brain kind of worked. It's similar in some ways to how animals' brains work on a lower level compared to ours in some ways, in some ways not. But the point is, is that as we progressed, we created better and better ways of communicating information, but not only communicating information, but the bulk of information. So now all of a sudden, not only are we saying, you know, go to the river for fish, we're now saying if you go to the river for fish during the hours of such and such or the moon will be such and such, you'll get a greater yield. And now we've increased the complexity even more. We're saying if you go there, we're, we're going to, to say that during the summer at a certain day and a certain time that's been recorded and documented, we know it's going to be the best time. So we're getting more and more complex data that creates a higher, higher evolutionary of shared information. If you look at the neural system building, we then started to develop 
from smoke signals to other forms of communicating. Morse code to communicate across continents by dropping fiber optic cables across the oceans like rope. This tying a greater synapsis of information, but how much condensed information could be done in books. Books were a huge part of this before even the fiber optics. It was because you could take not only information, but complex information, compressed information, and have it travel and then be reopened like an accordion and data, which is really a mimication of modern technology. What do we do with modern technology? We download packets of information. We have them decompress. It's the same thing how your brain, in a sense, works. You're taking all this information, it's compressing into your brain, and your brain thinks upon it, and it unfolds it. It decompresses it, and you, when you're done with it, you kind of forget about it. What happened? You stored it back in the recesses of your mind somewhere, it's compressing it. This process is, is how the evolution of the mind is working for the Gaia consciousness. So in the end, the better usage of this, the higher state of consciousness comes from information. The information feeds the minor neurosystem, which again builds better and better systems. We are the byproduct as a people of that ingenuity. Our capability has improved. If you look at the skull of evolution, you will see how the brain adapted to a bigger brain from one that's probably about the size of your fist, which was reptilian. Then you have then mammalian, which is a little bit larger than that. And then neocortex, which is the brain that you see with all the squiggly things. And why are they squiggled? They're squiggled and they interfold. It's because it's how it compresses data. It's it's all those neurons were so much. If we spread them all out, would be you know maybe four feet wide from our heads. So the reason why they curl in like a sponge is it's a way to hold more data pressing in. Our brains now are holding much more data, which again is a contribution of intelligence and information, which in it turns creates a higher frequency of consciousness. Thought is living. So it's, it's a way of holding living consciousness within this residing in this physical body. I believe enlightenment in one part is contributed largely by the mechanism of the organism's potential of having that self-realization. When self-realization is achieved, even if you were to incarnate into a lesser intelligent vehicle that did not have the same dynamics as the one that you achieved consciousness, it doesn't matter. What will happen is, is that under certain levels of, of photography systems now, you see what looks like a gray static electrical charge around the head. What, what I'm suggesting is, is that's the truer, higher being that you are. And that your your limited amount, whatever that brain can handle, is what comes out in the reflection. The rest of it is all held in what I called hyper-consciousness. It's still there, but the body that you're manifesting in cannot, cannot give that data. It's to say that you have a TV that can give you 900 channels. Out of those 900 channels, can it, per, can it give to us right now a cellular phone conversation that you can communicate through? No. Does that mean that that information is not here? It's here. So the brain will, will – whatever you have will, will be able to utilize whatever it can. When you, when you die and leave that physical body, you will recollect full totality of your consciousness to the highest level that you've achieved in any of your lives. And anything that you might have experienced in a lower level that you weren't aware of is like reading a book. It's, it just becomes asserted into your total consciousness and it's just another part of you. The universe has an ultimate truth. How can I explain that is to say to you is that if you look at a Kong shell, a seashell, and you cut it open, you see the spiralization of it. As I've showed to you, a galaxy 
multi-galaxies, you see the same unification over and over and over again. That is a method of truth in a way for our universe. Do you see what I'm saying? As much as that is a method of truth in nature, you see, again, chaos theory. It's always reproducing itself, whether it's greater or smaller. So is there an inner truth to totality of consciousness for us. So as long as you are constantly leaving yourself open, even though if you're confident that you've completed everything, just this inner truth of constantly letting yourself open to the universe in and itself will help you to unfold anything you might have missed and it'll surface to the truth and you'll go, ah, you'll have an inner revelation. When you refuse to let that happen or when you attempt to ignore that from happening, which everybody does, that's the problem. By controlling the babbler, you're controlling your inner mechanism that's part of the Gaia mind. You're not controlling Gaia. As you have the babbler moving inside of you, the static information, it's like multiple channels bleeding over each other. There's no difference from inside of you than outside of you. So all of it is is you're blind to it. When you get the inner babbler under control and you can think with without thought, you can think with a higher consciousness, which I've taught you guys to do. It's a different kind of thinking then inside of you has clarity. When you're inside of you, you have clarity. When you look outside of yourself, you can begin to separate all the static and you can see whatever truth you choose to see within the Gaia mind. Your frequency has harmonized to the same frequency. Instead of you being one of the static channels within all the static channels, you've tuned in each station individually. They all slow down. Instead of being, they, they all slow down and they separate. And you can see the bands of truth, which each one, whichever one you want to access, you access it. And then you see micro bands of truth until you absorb whatever amount of information you require. So by clearing your inner self, it allows you to separate to see the outer side. When your frequency is just a static inside, it matches the outside. You have to define your inner self before you can see what's outside of you. There is a shortcut. The shortcut is just clearing your mind. But again, you need the tools to recognize how to find the shortcut. You know, I could say you have to cross the mountain range, okay? And in order to cross the mountain range, you're going to have to drive all the way around it, and it's a sure way of doing it. Or you could take the shortcut. What do you want to do? Well, the shortcut is only as good to you as if I tell you where it is. You still need a systematic amount of tools, in other words, to find even the shortcut. So what I'm saying to you is, is that even a shortcut needs direction. The shortcut is on the north side of the mountain range. It's about X amount of hundred feet up. You'll see a cave. If you go down the cave, you go down, there's three paths. If you take the wrong one, you're going to be screwed. Take the one to the far right, follow all that way down, and it will open to the other side, and you will cut your journey by 100%. You know, it'll take hours off your trip. It doesn't matter. You still needed the direction in order to achieve that. Other schools of teaching, 30, 40, 50 years of this, and sometimes they never get it. Every day they meditate in monasteries, isolation, dedication to their path, and still never even begin to reflect as deeply as you are reflecting right now through, through this conversation. You're already on the shortcut. The thing that I want everybody to keep in mind about selfishness and selflessness, what I'm trying to say is that it's important that you always allow your spirituality or your inner growth, whatever you want to call it, to be predominantly the most important thing in your life. And if you're not careful and you're not aware of that, you're going to allow things 
to push it aside into second place, then third place, and fourth place, and then fifth place. And that's about that selfishness. It's about saying that my spirituality is a prime and important thing to me, and that other people who are feigning for my affection or absorbing my time through through whatever things that are not reasonable for their own personal control or whatever it is, this is what I'm trying to say is that you should never, ever forget that you have to build your life around your spirituality, not your spirituality around your life. When you can achieve this, you will probably be most happiest in your life, is that nothing should come before your inner spirituality. Your inner spirituality is the doorway to your inner soul. As difficult as this is to accept, there are people in your life, they will always come and they will always go. You can even marry, and in marriage, your marriage will end, perhaps, or maybe it'll stay. But the point is, there's one thing that's guaranteed, and that is that inner development within your soul will probably reflect to create the best marriage or the best relationships in your life with people and friends, and that will be the greatest power to long-term happiness in your life. So therefore, if you make it the second thing in your life, if the first thing fails you, you have nothing to give you life or support for the rest of your life. Does, does that make sense for everybody? So the selfishness means work on developing yourself. It's not really meaning that you're being selfish. In truth, you're trying to be the best being or the best person that you can be for everybody else in the world. And if it means that you have to isolate yourself or to, to make radical change in your life, try to be as pleasant, compassionate, and understanding as you can, for you will always be affecting other people in your life. But what you always must remember is, is you must always empower yourself to make the choices that are going to help you to awaken. And always check yourself to see if you're manipulating yourself for ego in order to do it, or if it's really sincerely, truly for the sake of your inner spiritual growth. An example would be, I'm in a relationship I don't necessarily want to be in, so now's the time to tell everybody I want to find my inner spiritual growth. That's not the right answer. It would be better to say, I'm not happy in this relationship. I want the best for you. I've put money aside for you when I leave so that you have money to support yourself. If you have problems financially or you, you need somebody to talk to, feel free to call me, but I do need to move on. And if I feel that you're, you're working me to feel guilty in any way, then I'm going to have to sever that connection. And it, it sounds cruel, but you have to set a realistic amount of time to move on. You could say to yourself, I'm going to give my pers this person a month, two months, six months, whatever you feel is reasonable. But at the end of that time, you cannot continue to make exceptions by putting extensions onto that. You need to move on or you're, you're not progressing with your own life and your own destiny, which is what you need to fulfill in a reasonable amount of time. Now, let's talk about that reasonable amount of time. Youth is a wonderful, wonderful thing. In youth, we explore life, we explore ourselves, we explore relationships, we, we, everything is new and interesting. As you grow older, things that are new and interesting are no longer new and interesting because you know them well. So they become familiar things. So the things that once captivated your consciousness no longer captivate the majority of your time mentally or emotionally. It gives way for other things, and usually this reflects then into the, the deeper meanings of life. The problem with this process is it's not 
to your advantage as a spiritual person. It's to the advantage of a, a red cell organism. The red cell organism basically, again, wants you to proliferate life, create more more babies per se. It's like an organism that's it sees you when by the time you lose your youth for production, it's you're you're nearing then you could say the death cycle. You're you know you're you're going to die in X amount of years or you're getting old and your body just can't do like the younger people to get out there and, and to procreate per se. So this gives way in your life also through the stuff that doesn't stimulate you no more to find something deeper that can stimulate you forever. And that's what you really begin to seek out. The problem is by this point, the body is aging and the body directly correlates to your consciousness as long as you reside in it. If you have the flu or if you're sick, it's going to have a big effect on your thinking process or your motivation process or largely your inspiration. As you age, you also are awakening to the possibilities of of something beyond you. But on the same token, you've lost the ability to as easily attain it. So these are factors that you have to consider into to being selfish in a way. The sooner you can realize that you need to work on your enlightenment process and you need to control certain factors that are demanding in your life, whether they be work, school, relationships, whatever, you have to assess right now what is the best course of action for you. And it's to say that you can't put any of these other things on the back burner, but which is going to take priority and which is not. And it's to say, does, does spirituality ever take the back door? And the answer is no. You make your spirituality first, then you integrate the second most important thing, whether that's school or relationship or whatever, then the third most important thing. But you have to realistically understand that you can only have like five things, not 20 things. So you, you have to surrender, as they say in Desiderata, the things of youth, the things that really aren't serving you to move forward. And then a lot of times it's like, who is absorbing most of my time mentally, emotionally, or anything else like that? Then you need to begin removing those things if you don't see that they're allowing you to progress or to isolate your own path of awakening. You need to deal with those things and to study those things. What I'm saying is, is in relation to your physical health, the sooner you begin your path of devoting yourself to your spiritual path and make it your, your prime directive, the most important thing, more than likely you're going to achieve the most spiritually to get to where it is you're trying to get to. There's no better time than now. So if you're 10 years old, 20 years old, 30 years old, 50 years old, 80 years old, if now is the moment that you are hearing this, now is the moment that you understand this, then now is the moment that you must put every ounce of your effort into achieving that. Because time is going to rob you of your advantages. Time is going to rob you with age of motivations, your desires, your hopes, your dreams. It's to say that right now you see in color, but your eyes will fade and they will begin to blend the color so that it's taken away from you. How much have you developed yourself in order to find your inner awakening. So you, you want to stack as much in your favor as you can. As I said before, I'm not a gambling man. I don't let go to Vegas to gamble because it's not to my advantage. If I'm going to invest, I want to invest in as much as it's going to be in my advantage. The earlier you work on your spirituality, the better advantage of finding that enlightenment you're going to find. So your thought process, getting back to the subject of this conversation, is largely affected by the well-being of your body. If your body's not in good health, your thought process is probably not in the best of health. 
if you are not at the best performance that you can be, then you're probably, your thought process is not going to be at the best possibility. It doesn't mean you have to be physically fit with a six-pack stomach lifting weights. You want to be well. Youth is your advantage. Whether you're 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, you have to use whatever youth you have at the moment of this realization and use and squeeze and pull every ounce that you have left to throw you over that last horizon to get to where you need to be. And you should never lose sight of that. You can never lose sight of it. You have to keep that on, on front of your mind that, that each day you're not getting younger. Your birth was the first moment leading to your death in this life. You have to keep that in consideration that there is a certain time limit in order for you to achieve the highest level of, of conscious development that you can do. And that you shouldn't say, well, I'll probably die at 80 or 90 years old or whatever age you assume this at because you could die tomorrow in a car accident. You could die from whoever knows what. More so, putting that all aside, your mind is most limber from the moment you are born. And from each moment on, even though you're learning, your its ability to learn is slowing. So you have to keep that in mind. Your greatest advantage to finding what you're looking for is today. That's what I say. Keep your spirituality the number one thing in your life. Never lose track of that. You'll never be happy until you begin to learn, live your life for yourself. I mean, don't hurt anybody else in the process, willfully, like physically harm them or psychologically willfully harm them. But in some cases, by choosing to live your life, you're going to disappoint other people. You know, family members always want you to live by their ideals. They want you to become a product of what they have found peace or, or understanding or, or, or solitude. And they're assuming that you will be looking for this also. And in, in, in their love, correctly so, they want you to have that. People who live their life making someone else happy are usually the ones who have the highest risk of depression, suicide, feeling that by the time they're 50 and they outgrow it, that they wasted their entire life and never did anything with it. And they resent the people then who they live their life for. You're really doing them a greater service if you really think about it. You have a right to find your own happiness. You shouldn't let anybody else dictate what that happiness should be as long as you're not harming anybody else. The first arrangement of, of consciousness exchange, thought exchange, is very biological. And what I mean that by that is it's all in your eyes. It's all in your face. Um, if you look at someone, every single thought that they have go through their mind, unless they're, they're trained per se, is broadcast through their face. Your face will always give you away. If you're lying, if you're telling the truth, if you, whatever it is, it's always through your face. It comes out. And we have a natural decoder in our brain that gets that communication. So communication isn't always words. It's, it's also visual what you're hearing. And what you're hearing has tonatures in it. And what you're seeing tells you stuff also. So your senses are much more acute to communication than you think. So that's the first thing, is that when you're talking, you're, you're broadcasting whatever's going through your mind. Now, if a person approaches you to say hello, but they have an intent of knowing who you are, there's a programming in that hello. 
there's a tonature that somewhere's in the back of your mind that says, oh, this person's asking me, tell me about your life. So you, you hear on the surface, hello, and you're saying hello, but in the, on the undersurface, you're already projecting all these random things automatic to send out. Do you understand? It's, it's like we unwittingly or unknowingly begin to do this. Just particularly the more evolved intellectually you are, the more difficult it is to get that from someone. But the, the less mentally trained they are, it just flows naturally. This is a salesman does it to, to people all day long. They say hello. In five seconds, you're, you're giving them all of this information through your face, through twitches and movements and eye left to right and, and, and expressions in your cheeks, your chin, your lips, barely puckering and moving. Frequencies in your eyelids. Uh, believe me, there's a thousand words being said. Your face is a reflection of every thought you have. When you understand that, that's the beginning of the first process of exchanging information. The reason why your mind starts going through there is for several reasons. One, physically, their face, their mouth said hello, but their face said to you, I want to know more about you. Tell me about your whole life. And you are responding in the recesses of your mind unwittingly by giving all those flutters of information. In exchange, they're getting all that information, maybe not in precision. Do you see what I'm saying? But in overall adjustment, they're getting a sense of who you are. In the sense of scanning... They're seeing in their mind all of those images interpreted through them. So you might see a red house. They might see the red as a brown house. Do you see what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how exact it is. That comes from practice and perfection. But what matters is is that their brain is getting frequencies of information. As I said to you, the human body has about 30 feet electrical field around it, and it shares data with everything around it, unconsciously or consciously, generally unconsciously. So – when someone approaches you and they have an intent rather than non-intent, you'll find that when some people say hello to you, nothing goes through your mind. And those are the people who have really no intention for you. They're just saying hello because they have to and they're going to move on with their life or whatever, okay? The people that when your mind starts racing, you is a, it's a tip to you to be conscious enough that this person has other motives. And how you choose to handle that situation the second you do that is another thing. So again, it gets back to self-observation. Again, it gets back to thought and thought process. How do you handle that? It's very simple how you handle it. I'll show you. Get it? So, for those of you who weren't watching me, I simply manifested my heart chakra and I pronounced this just passionate love and, and it just totally barricaded every level. And I'm still in that place. And I'm having a conversation, but it's it's kind of bluffing or filtering what the actual information is that's going out, okay? It takes time to develop that skill. And again, mindfulness is being able to juggle. So it takes practice. But the bottom line is, is you can broadcast a thought as soon as you catch yourself doing it, and that's the thought that they're going to get. And you just plug them with this absolute love and happiness and without them knowing they're going to think, oh, this person is just really a very loving, happy person. What most people are looking for and is confused, I think, a lot of the times is they're not really out to psychically scan you. It is within us genetically, primitively speaking, to look at someone in the face and to read their intentions. We 
come from a genetic pool that probably had violence and aggressiveness and, and territorialness and everything. If you look at animals, animals, you look them in the eye, it's, it's, a, it's a sign to attack or to fight, or you can't look at another dominant one in the eye. So it's natural for us without us realizing it, that we're observing the other person in the eyes and we're reading information from that. So naturally it's a sense of accessing data from you we both react to it. So if there's not a violence part of you and that person has a very strong dominant energy, you're, you're flooding all these different emotions or thoughts and you're also trying to feel what it is they're feeling for you. So you're panicking, you're just flipping through all this data maybe. So it's, it's primitive to look someone in the eye and try to pull information from them. And naturally that's the case. What you need to do is you need to know that you can create an emotion and broadcast it outside of you through your eyes. And every, every emotion can be broadcasted through eyes. When you guys are watching me, I'm really talking to you not only through words, but through my eyes. When I raise my eyelids, when I bring them down, when I give you the look, all of these things are a broadcast to you that you're receiving that you will respond to a certain way. This is all communication. So there's a lot of communication that's going on, not just verbally, but psychologically through thought process and very primitive levels that we, we're not paying attention to. And you should pay attention to it because it's critical. It's done every single day. So not just the hands moving around, but face gestures. That's what you have to remember. And if you learn to follow face gestures, you can you can read a lot of information on someone's face. The eyes will always give you away. Most books who talk about subjects like this will tell you your eyes will, will give you away 99.9% .9 of the time. The only people that you got to be careful of are professional conmen, and conmen know how to control their eyes. So you have to use other senses to detect that. There's a certain evolution that comes within you from, from just experiencing. Most of the times when people scan you, the reason why you're being scanned um, really comes down to something, again, very primitive. Scanning is usually sexual-based. Uh, you're sizing someone up. You usually read their face characteristics for things that attribute to your attraction. When someone looks at you and you know it's sexual and you look back, what are you doing? You're accessing them to see if they're sexual or not. But what's the next stage? What happens when you decide they are? There's something you send them that says, I'm open to communication. You all of a sudden take it to the next level and you communicate with a little nod of your head or a little smirk of smile or the subtlest wink of an eye or the gentle mo You don't even have to wink. They just know. And they reciprocate it instantly back to you. And then all of a sudden the conversation breaks loose or, or one of you guys chooses to step forward or not. But the point is, is, is you just broadcasted and communicated something. So couldn't you have also had the ability to communicate something other to somebody who wasn't talking to you in sexual terms? It just takes a little bit of effort and a little bit of conscious reflection to realize how to do that. But when most people are scanning you, they're, they're trying to establish what you're attracted to, if you could be attracted to them, and if so, how could they dominate you to get what they want from you sexually. That's usually what scanning is. The second form of scanning is to see if you are a threat to them. But it's an assessment to, to see what your motives are. And that's usually what, what you feel from people when they're looking at you. They're, they're trying to size up what your motives are. Or if you, thirdly, are going to take their position of power, I would say. And their position of power is, is we deal with a lot of social ranking. And when you meet someone, you go in, everybody's threatened that you might want to take their position or you potentially could take their position. So if you approach a group of friends or a business structure, most of the people there will be trying to size you up as to what threat you pose. We all have motives. All of you guys have motives. You guys don't bother with a group of people, do you? For what reason? You have a motive. 
what, just to be friends? There's your motive. You're, you're looking for a companionship. Or 10 to 1, you're infiltrating a group and being friendly because you've isolated someone in that group that you, you're attracted to or that you want to get to know. So you're playing the social gamut and you're feeding and studying and sizing people, feeding you up and being able to project what you think they're going to want to hear just so that you can achieve your goal. All of this is, is thought combat. It's all social combat. It's, it's all progressive consciousness. If you have absolutely no interest, 10 to 1, you won't approach it. If someone approaches you right away, you're wondering what it is that they really want. Right away, you're, you're on a level of, okay, what's your intentions? So if you do that, you need to project an intention that will get past their radar. You're, you're packaging now condensed data and you're slipping it under the doorstep. So it's a bomb and you, you get in and you can infiltrate that person's mental system and make them either like you or not like you. But it's, it's always a social combat psychologically. It's always a thought consciousness movement of, of, of strategizing from one person to the other. And we do it all the time. And this comes from primitive man. This is social function. Animals do it. So do human beings do it. Anybody who ever approaches you, 10 to 1, know that they have an intention. They're not just coming up to you because they just want to be your friend. It's what established why they want to be your friend. What did you do? What did they see? What do you have? There's something there. Now, there is the rare occasion when someone genuinely just wants to be friends. But in this day and age... You know, even primitive speaking, you know, the guys who, who befriended you while you were carrying your lamb that you hunted for around the corner, then beat you up and take your lamb, you know, or your deer or whatever. So nine times out of ten, there's motivations under motivations. And, and it's right for you to be skeptical because this all gets down to fear base. Fear base is survival base. Survival base says be fearful of anybody's intentions because their intentions may be harmful. So this is your biological sensory kicking in. So you got to use that biological sensory to your advantage. And when you use reverse engineering, as we spoke earlier, then you can find ways of broadcasting information under control. Actors and actresses do this a lot. They have to create an emotion internally to externally broadcast it. What is interesting is, is most actors can do this under a performance situation, but in real life when, they're, when they have to act to whatever, they find it a lot more difficult because they find that they're out of their natural element. But this is all consciousness. It's all communication, both physically through your face, emotionally broadcasting it, and of course, you know, verbally broadcasting with interfibered vibration. So there's many levels of, of this information being being exchanged. And I would imagine thousands of bits of information are done in a second as soon as you meet somebody. There's just like mass loads of, of data being exchanged. Sizing up, feeling sensory, you know, is this guy after my girl? Is this guy, you know, what, is, what does this person want? I mean, if you just think about different things where we've met new people and just the, the whole exchange of the social ritual of establishing the pecking order and establishing who has what to offer and establishing what, what you know, their is to be afraid of or not being afraid of or winning them over saying, no, I'm not a threat here, but you can't actually verbalize that. Do you see what I'm saying? I've always found that for me, direct pointedness seems to work best, but then people think that that's arrogant and, 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 and just a form of arrogance. Um, but my, my stand would be is I can tell that that person's sizing me up. 
and I know so well that I can I can say, okay, first of all, I'm not interested in your girlfriend. Let's clear that up. Second of all, whatever I sense is going through their mind and dealing with situation, but that is just too brutal for some people, and it's too intimidating. It's like you know too much too easily. I can't handle this. You're a greater threat, and I have to get rid of you because how will I ever know what your negative intention is? So I might as well just assume it must be bad because I can't keep up with you. So this is a disadvantage then for me, and this is what most people get because I can't even help it sometimes. I'm just so, you know, right on the money. This is, again, it's, it's another form of communication, and it, and it falls, again, to that whole concept about the airplane on the ground and then taking off. These are all factors that are natural elements, which I explain as being the wheel still touching the grain of the airplane. As it begins to lift off is when you learn to go through someone's mind and get information that they're not volunteering through any of these other physiological ways that I'm talking about. That would be takeoff. That would be when you're, you've learned to use your sixth sense instead of your hands moving around, instead of your eyes showing information or your ears getting information or whatever, you found another way to communicate on that that person does not know how to use it. You have the advantage. It's to say that if you were in a fight and the other person didn't have arms, do you think you had an advantage? Okay, well, it's that big of an advantage if you can develop your sensory to that level of scanning. But just remember, you know, like I said, if someone's scanning you and they're very powerful, maybe you don't have hands, but you still got feet, kick them. Project that happy energy at them. You know, it's it's going to be enough to, to, to deal with the situation up to a certain point. Moving on to other forms of communication of thought is frequency. And we've discussed this um, considerably about a person's uh, frequency or energy or vibration. And a teacher is obviously the best frequency that is going to be practical for you to approach until you can approach the frequency per se of God. Whenever you acknowledge thought or the process of sharing thought, you, by acknowledging this, learn from it. Do you understand? It's, it's very simple. You don't have to, to do anything else in your head but to observe that there's a process of information being exchanged, and that's thought. Do you understand? So, you could say everything that we've talked about, as long as you can see it happening now that you know what to be aware of. Again, going further back, if you know you're being stalked, you, you have awareness. You can, you can see it happening and you have an advantage. Do you follow what I'm saying? You can better empower yourself. Well, when you think about when you deal with people in public and, and circumstances now, you're probably going to think about it in a different way. And because you're thinking about it in a different way, you now have an advantage again. You have a power that you did not have before. Do you understand? Now, when you are in the presence of certain individuals, their vibration is another form of thought. It's, it's their consciousness resides at such a place that it's so refined that through you observing in this method, you are learning. It still applies to a higher being versus a lesser being in everyday life. It's the same concept. It's just a different uh, you know, response that you're getting from it. And you're learning from it through, through observing it makes you self-reflect. One of the interesting things that I should point out to you is, is that if, if I smile, what, what did that do earlier to you guys when I, when I gave that big happy heart chakra energy out? Everybody kind of laughed and they got it. Something in their head just kind of went, hee 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 hee, okay? Well, that was a thought that was pronounced both physically and spiritually in energy from me, okay? You sampled it. 
do you understand what you did? You sampled it through through your data process and bounced it back out. I sent it out as data. You internalized it and you remanufactured the exact same thing and you, you felt it and broadcasted it out and you knew what it was. Thought is a living thing. You can bring it inside of you and it can affect you. Just as much as I said that somebody could broadcast a depression on you and you would feel depressed, someone can can also think of you in a negative, hateful, spiteful way and, and all of a sudden you feel ill and sickly and depressed. Or it's to say that if you feel positive, the health of your body has a greater immune system. All the living organisms of your body improve versus if you feel really depressed, your immune system drops and you feel sickly and you're more vulnerable to, to attack versus viruses. Everybody you understand this? So when someone projects a great amount of negativity to you and you are experiencing this, it's an attack on your inner energies. It's an attack on your inner vibrations. When you have an argument with a, with a lover, it's the same effect. And they're assaulting you, not just energy, but psychologically through facial, through, through every method of thought that they can project. They're launching an all-out nuclear war on you because what do they want? They want you to submit. And submit means that you're going to have to be destroyed to such a level that you are forced to, to submit to their will unless they, they have some kind of control where they can get up and walk away and cool off and find another way of communicating. So this is an assault on you when someone's really angry or, or, or talking at you in a way. They're, they're working on finding your bands of thought to attack and to, to detach, to, to make you accept what they have to say instead of communicating with you on an even level of communication so that you can, you can find a different kind of truth. Now, in some cases, you have to, to take this all out in assault. And I know that's hard to imagine coming from somebody like me, but sometimes people just don't they don't want to hear it or sometimes a child can just throw walls up and you have you have to find a way to break those walls down how you choose your armory of weapons is really what's more important you you can be either strategic about your warfare or you can just be blatantly canvassing it with destruction i would say it's better to be precise precision than it is to to blanket somebody with an all out brutal assault there is certainly a difference there. Um, but when someone at a distance is angry with you, you're going to feel that energy. You're going to feel it attacking. You're not going to know why you feel anxiety. You're not going to know why you feel anxious or something's just bugging you or why all of a sudden you lost your appetite or something. Or you might have a fight with somebody over the phone. And immediately after, you're thinking you're just dealing with the issue psychologically. But that person's also pumping their energy out at you. And on the same token, you could do the same thing to someone else by pumping out that energy if you're all wound up and thinking on them. And when you're thinking on them and you're invoking them, you're invoking their frequency. If you're invoking their frequency, you've got their signal. If you got their signal, you're broadcasting this to onslaught onto them. Does everybody understand that? These are, are things that you have to be aware of. What's even interesting is, is that sometimes you may all of a sudden feel an anxiety and you know you haven't talked to anybody. You know you haven't had a conversation with anybody, whatever reasons. But they could have talked to someone who said, did you know, you know, last week I meant to tell you that I spoke with blah, blah, blah. And they told me this, this, and this regarding you. 
And then that person all of a sudden is what? Invoking you, your image, your vibration, your feeling. And they're saying, I can't believe they said that and blah, 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 blah. And now they're invoking this broadcast through the signal again to you. You just don't know who or why it's coming at you. But it's again, it's another kind of energy or psychic attack. And this happens all day long. And this is a, another systematic way of keeping individuals in check within the matrix from allowing themselves to go out. Because in order for you to hit a higher consciousness, your, your first First job is really to liberate yourself mentally from things that are weighing you down or empowering the babbler. So as long as other people are invoking their consciousness always on you in certain ways, it's a way of keeping you from liberating yourself from moving beyond all that. And this is why you're giving all these tools to practice and all these methods to practice that it's not so much of dealing with issues that you are dealing with. It's to say that there are people in your life that are constantly broadcasting on you, whether their intentions are good or bad, a person praying for you to find their religion or their God or their belief system is still an invocation on you all the time. It's it's another psychic webbing that, in a sense, is, is constantly working you to keep you in a certain place. You have to understand that you've got to clear all these things so that you can make a clear and decisive choice from your own inner being rather than it being affected by outside sources of energy or consciousness that you're not even aware of, that are, are forcing or molding your destination. And that's part of the matrix. That's all part of the, the conscious grid moving around. Practicing your tools to clear all that's very important. And, and if you don't work on it every day, then you are going to fall under the will of the matrix. And what is deemed as good thoughts doesn't necessarily mean that they're thoughts that you agree with. But yet they're going to be invoked on you. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, internally, you're fully aware of what these other people's wants and desires are on you. And that alone has a festering ability that's absorbing your energy. So when we talked about computer stuff earlier and we said all these little tiny programs running that you're not aware of, you're aware of. If you can say, yeah, my mother feels this way or my father feels this way or this person feels that way, just the fact that that's happening is still something that, that's feeding on you like a little microvirus. And this is why they say meditate, remove yourself from thought because it's your only time period that you begin to shut down all of these things. Does everybody understand? And even when you shut down most of them, there's still always some running. So this is which gets into inner training where you go into your mind and you disengage these. You decord their power system and, and disable them. But in some cases, they are run by guilt. And so now all of a sudden it's selfishness. If you remove yourself from those things, it's to say that, that I should care about what my mother wants. I should care about what my father wants. I don't want to hurt them. So now you've got a dilemma of choosing right or wrong. And what, what is this going to distinguish in you? What's right and wrong is the real question. And so all of those things steal or take from the energy to empower that main algorithm that's working for enlightenment, that main path. They're, they're all taking a little bit here, a little bit there, but when you put them all together, it's a huge amount. So you, again, your job is to isolate as much as that as you can that's reasonable for you so that you can put most of your energy, most of your inner resources dimensionally into to your main agenda, to your spirituality. And that's that's where you have to get tough. That's where you have to be focused. That's where you have to say, I'm sorry, That's this is the way it is. And this is why sometimes you guys think that I can be sometimes kind of tough or certain walls. But there's certain times I go, that's it. That's enough. 
back off or I broadcast and everybody's like, whoa, you know, we, we better not bother him with these things. Do you see what I'm saying? Because there are things that I feel that you can handle. You're just choosing the easiest route, but it's, it's now using my resources. Understanding this, again, this is how thought works. Thought is invoked upon you. If you can think about it, you can acknowledge it. If you acknowledge it, you are empowering yourself because you're aware of the intentions of, of the stalker per se. It gives you the advantage. When you choose to be around certain people, as we were saying earlier, birds of a feather flock together. If you're around people who, who do a lot of drugs, more than likely you will get involved with doing drugs because you begin to see life through that perspective. We are creatures of absorption. We absorb the consciousness of the environment we choose to be in. So it's no wonder that we become a byproduct of, of environments that we're in and it takes a lot of strength to change that environment. If there's 10 people, it's unlikely that your will is going to change all 10. Usually the 10 will absorb you. I'll give you a perfect example of this. If you guys moved to the south and they had a heavy accent, 10 to 1 within your first year living there, you would begin to adapt that accent and not know that you have it. So we are, are products of absorption of the environments that we place ourselves in. And it's no different with habits of life, preferences, how we do things, what we consider neat and clean and the standards of what that level would be, so on and so forth. So if you put yourself around people who are not striving for a spiritual goal, it's going to be very difficult for you yourself to achieve those spiritual goals or more difficult. It's not to say you can't. It's just to say that you're, you're adding things against your favor. And I says, I'm, I'm not a gambling man. I want to stack as much as I want in my favor to what I want to achieve. Place yourself in a group of people that have the same goals or same agendas. More than likely, you're helping to fuel or empower yourself to achieve that goal. Because now you, you have people who, who are stroking with you in that boat and it's creating a much more powerful momentum. And you're likely you're still individual because you have to maintain your own physical exhaustion or what you can do. But you still have a group of people that are sending you the right destination. So where you spend your time and who you tend to spend it with has a, a huge effect on, on what you're going to achieve. Of course, it's very important to keep in mind that you must always check the environment. Even if you think that this environment, the very environment I'm speaking to you guys with, you must always remember that even I can still have that clannish effect where we're all in our own little reality or bubble. And maybe there's something bigger beyond this. This is why I always say it's important to read outside of this. It's always important to look at stuff outside of this. When we lose that diversity, it's when we've, we've become like everything else. So it's important that you, you do expand your life outside of out of our school of thinking. Do not isolate it. Many religions isolate. Many, many groups isolate. Now, there's a certain level of isolation, but there's also an extreme amount of flexibility. But it's always important for us to think about that from time to time and to reflect on that. And it's always good to spend time with family and friends. But you have to feel strong enough to, to know what, what you want and to direct that course of your life. And when it's being infringed upon too much by, by those factors, you also need to win to step back out of it for your, own, for your own inner cause, for your own inner journey. Does everybody understand that? The reason why people 
should have a spiritual teacher or a guru or a mind mechanic is that you're being around that person for their quality of consciousness. You're sampling much the same way you would sample from other people or other groups and, and pick up habits or things from them. You're choosing to be around a spiritual guide, per se, because it's assumed, we should say, that they are of a higher evolution okay, than where you may be, and you're esteeming to find where it is that they are. So by you being in their presence, you're absorbing that frequency. A spiritual teacher is always broadcasting a very high frequency. If you open yourself to it the same way you have observations with other things, so do you absorb that, and you can choose to absorb that, and that in itself elevates you higher. Being just in the presence of a very spiritual person in itself is very uplifting, it's very teaching, it's very freeing, it, it, it expands your consciousness. And this is why you would want to seek out to, to be in that circumstance, or at least be able to hear this discussion, because it's going to invoke that kind of thought, that kind of vibration, and you're, you're going to manifest that inside of you just by thinking on it. So, if, of course, if you can't be in the physical presence, the next best thing is this. It's better than not invoking anything or being under the invocation of other frequencies that may not be beneficial to you. So you have to create that vibration by it being created through this format, through this conversation. By us thinking on the topics that we are thinking upon is creating a very complex frequency itself just by the subject matter, creating a total final product in itself, and that would be a breakthrough per se, or understanding in a higher perception. Being with a higher frequency is always better than choosing to be in a lower frequency. Always try to be conscious of where you are, who you're with, and if you can do that, that's called what? That's called being conscious. We always say be in the now. Think about the reality of what's going on. Think about who you're with. When you don't do that, you are more than likely absorbing the vibration of all the people that you're around, whether it be in your work environment, whether it be hanging out with people, whether it's in your school environment, whether it's at a wedding or a shower, is to step back and to think about the very moment you're in instead of becoming part of the product of what's happening and you're just you're just moving in it with non-thought you can move in it with having consciousness that's what you want to achieve is to constantly be as aware or conscious as you can for as long a period as you can and that tends to be on and off on and off but it still keeps you in check so being around a spiritual teacher is your main window to sampling and experiencing a higher vibration and appropriately helps you to set the standards of what you're trying to create in yourself by mimicking it. Now, remember what I said, that you can create vibrations inside of you by invoking them. If if you wanted happiness, I invoked happiness by invoking my heart chakra and broadcasting out, and everybody felt it. But you guys can do the same. But the thing that you, you don't often think about is, is that sometimes, as I've taught you before, if you think that you are that person, you can feel them. If you feel what it is to feel like their face, if you shape your face into the structure of how, how they have their face, you can feel what it is that they feel in their normal everyday life. And you can do that as a practice. You would close your eyes and you would invoke like your mother or your father or whoever you're thinking about. And if you do that for a few seconds, you're going to feel what it is to feel like them. Now, 
after you've played around with this, what you want to do is you want to invoke someone that you esteem as being in a much higher place than you. Someone that esteems with a much higher vibration. And this is kind of a cheating method. But by so doing, you're invoking that vibration to a certain level inside of you and you're learning from it. Do you understand? So let's say if you esteemed me, it's to say that if, if invoking me and feeling like me, there's some things that you will learn that you can't understand in your normal way of thinking right now. But by invoking and internalizing it, there's other things you can feel. Now what you choose to interpret is the thing that you have to watch. If you choose to look at the negative and say, oh, it feels like it's powerful, you know, and it could do really intense things, it's not exactly what you're looking for. It's still That's still more physical in a sense. It's lower energy consciousness that you're switching to. What you'd rather say is it, it feels perhaps there's a sense of peace or a sense of knowing. I, you don't have to fully know what I know, but just the sense of knowing that that exists in itself is a lesson within you that you can learn, and it may open up other doors. So this is why I often say that that spiritual people will have shrines of their gurus and stuff. And most Western people look at that and go like, oh, it's like some kind of cult worshiping or whatever. It's to invoke the quality of that teacher as a memory. All these teachers talked about God. So obviously the student isn't worshiping that person as God. They know that the teacher was the teacher, not God. But most Western people think that that's what they think it is. They, they must be idolizing them. Well, they do it all the time. Look at all their statues and everything else. I mean, I mean, it was religiously stated there should be no icons or, or whatever, yet that's all there is. Okay, But what do they have it? They have it to inspire them. So when you have a photograph of your teacher or candles of your teacher and you sit down and you meditate, it's not that you're, you're praying – uh, to your teacher as much as you're trying to invoke the memory of what that person invoked in you and that you don't lose that and that you want to to have that blossom inside of you or to grow inside of you or to feel inside of you and it's it's your last link of maintaining that link. It could be any teacher, any any person that you aspire. For me, it's like Mohandas Gandhi. He's not necessarily a spiritual teacher, but in my way, he's a spiritual teacher of life, in my opinion. So everybody can have a certain reference. It's it's whatever you, you choose to see. And even if that person did something bad, you don't, it doesn't mean that you have to just get the bad, too. You can focus on, on what is good and want to incorporate that into the quality of who you are. A lot of people ask us, where is the best place to start with our courses and material? The fundamental backbone of everything in our catalog is the Foundation Meditation System. This is a unique meditation technique geared to the purpose of absorbing prana, stimulating key regions of the body that enhance sensory development, and allow one to tap into a source of unbridled spiritual energy. Foundation Meditation can be learned in our book, Meditation Within Eternity, or you can visit our website, foundationmeditation.com, to acquire the audio course. Again, that's foundationmeditation.com. Each of Eric's books comes with a secure readers-only section online that contains a treasure trove of complimentary free training material. When you add up all the free training you get with each book, you have a combined total value of over $1,000 in additional content. This includes classes, guided meditation exercises, and more. Digital and physical copies are available at higherbalancebooks.com. Order the set on discount now, and we'll also send you a free guru deck in the mail for physical orders. Again, that's higherbalancebooks.com. Go there now, 
order your set, and join the growing movement of spiritual adepts. Follow us on Instagram at Higher Balance Institute, all one word. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a positive review to help others like yourself find this knowledge. If you would like to support this podcast, please visit our online store at higherbalance.com. When I was young, I recall sitting in the back seat of the family car as we drove somewheres, probably just to get away. I remember seeing the rivets of the back seat, the leather contour, the fabric and texture of the floor mat. I was small. I remember looking upward through the window, seeing the reflection of the glass of myself, a metal lining along the glass trim. I could only see the trees and the sky moving by. I thought I could touch it, so I did, reaching my hand out the window to touch it. I felt it. I felt the air pushing and moving beneath my hand and the warmth of the sun upon its back. I think it was at that moment I began to awaken, knowing that sometimes when you want to find something, you don't always find it in the way that you think you're going to. You see, my hand, it moved against the wind, pushing, weaving, feeling it, touching it, and the sun warming, soothing, healing. Somewhere in between, I flew. Higher balance, we think outside of the box, a new kind of spirituality, a new kind of meditation, a revolution in consciousness. Thank you for listening to Rebel Guru Radio.